Podcast 57, Preparing a Food for Us. Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. I guess I should do something different, huh? So here we are in, in Missoula, Montana. And we're with Joe. And uh, uh, we're, it looks like your backyard is very backyard-esque. So, but you've got a lot of plans, some things you're doing. You're, so you're, you're getting a lot of new ideas. I know that you've been at a couple of my presentations. And we're, uh, we're wandering around the land a little bit. Now, you've got a stack of willow here, that uh, willow wood. And it's all definitely dead. That willow isn't going to take off. That willow is dried up. And, and you're going to make a hugel culture out of that. Yep. And um, I'm seeing, okay, so we're standing in front of the rhubarb patch, and we're in the middle of uh, August here. So the rhubarb looks pathetic, which rhubarb's supposed to look pathetic in, in the middle, although sometimes I do see rhubarb in August that looks amazing. Um, and so I'm looking at the soil. The soil looks gray. So I would say that if your soil was amazing, especially hugoculture-esque, that the rhubarb, while you wouldn't harvest it, in August, because it would probably be kind of pithy, it would probably still look green and healthy and lush, and it would tempt you to harvest it. So um, uh, even if, like, let's say you don't do a hugel culture here, you're just going to ha- you're just going to be raising rhubarb. I would say the thing to do would be to um, feed it. They are nitrogen pigs. They're just pigs, really. Oh, could I uh, plant clover? Take up all the grass and plant clover. Um, you've got so much bindweed here, but yeah, you could you could plant clover here. I'd I would say to plant lots of legumes here, um, but I'm I am such a massive fan of uh, rhubarb that I'd I'd like to see your uh, your rhubarb not get overwhelmed by the clover. And right now the rhubarb is looking short enough. I mean, this spring did the rhubarb look huge and awesome and amazing? Well, we just transplanted it this spring. Oh. I have a few more everywhere because they send, tend to grow because I, so I still have a few more specimens. Like the original site is regrowing, and then I have two more sites. Okay. All right. So, um, uh, but we didn't plant. Those were not planted in grass like these. We just dug a little hole right in the grass, and that was it. We never. I never got out here and um, cultivated it like I wanted to. So uh, uh, it'll probably be fine. It'll probably start to beat back some of this bindweed on its own. But um, let's let's talk a moment about well, well, how to beat bindweed. I think the first thing is is that uh, you've got a lot of a lot of lawn here, and it sounds like from from listening to you talk about your plans, you're about to do uh, I don't know three quarters lawnectomy. Is that about right? Um, what does that mean? Like I'm taking away my lawn for three quarters of it? You're going to probably get rid of about three quarters of your lawn. I mean, you've got a lot of lawn here. So well, I wanted to make it into a um, one of those things that's on a video on YouTube, a 300-year-old Vietnamese garden where the lady goes around when she's 80 and she just picks all her food. So a food forest. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I I, uh, I think that's a great idea. Um, um, I I I would think that okay. So to to build a food forest in this particular spot, you would probably want to do a sun scoop or two, and so that way is south, right? Right. So I would say that you'd want to try and make a, a sun scoop here, and now you're building a structure there. So maybe a sun scoop. Um, is a sun scoop like a oval garden or something? I mean, like a like a little 
U-shaped garden? Kind of a horseshoe-shaped yeah. garden with the open end oh, so facing south. Oh, so culture Well, you could put hugo cultures in it, and you could do a hugo culture sun scoop. I mean, where we're standing, it's flat. So I w- you you don't have to worry about taking the beds and and trying to arrange them in such a way that the cold air can move past. But um, the I- the idea is is that with the sun scoop and the idea of it being a uh, a horseshoe shape, that on the curved end as opposed to the open end, on the curved end, you're going to have your tallest stuff. Oh, cool. So then that's why I'm looking. Okay, that's why I'm, I'm thinking the rhubarb. Maybe next spring you might transplant it again because rhubarb, of course, isn't particularly tall. You, okay. I mean, when I say so tallest, tall stuff over here on the north end. And and by tallest stuff, I'm thinking trees. Oh, I got my some trees on the south side just to kind of put well, a little shade. You're gonna make the best of it. I mean, I would, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't even see you. Well, over on your front yard, way over there, you've got a conifer. Um, Two, uh, a blue spruce and a regular spruce and a maple. Okay. But um, I, a lot of times I go and I look at urban lots, and I and I say, oh, you've got like ten conifers on your teeny tiny property. Let's talk about taking out some conifers. But I don't. I'm not going to recommend that here. Um, and, and instead, um, I think you've just got so much lawn. I mean, there's there's a lot of lawn here, which is awesome. If you have an army of children. Or uh, if you have a potluck every other weekend, um, I'm get, uh, my impression is, is that's not what you're doing here. Uh, no, because uh, those children have grown, and now I'm going to have to feed a real army, which is grandchildren, children. So I'm mostly focused on feeding. Oh, okay. So um, mostly, you know. Okay. All right. So I I would say that uh, um, you know let's let's because the thing is it's always going to be incremental. You know everything that you do in permaculture when you could think about what you're going to do, but you're not going to like snap your fingers and it's done. So it's like where do we start first? And and right now where we're standing is on the on the furthest away spot of land. Oh, I think that's a Siberian pea shrub. Right over there. I have those things hanging up in the front. Oh yeah. So, yeah, so I, that's a Siberian pea shrub. Notice how the leaves look like pea leaves, mm-hmm. and it's got these little pods. And notice how, like, right now the pods are all closed, but there's an, oh, look, this one's open. These two are open. But uh, And then look at all the pod litter on the ground and, and how there's all this organic matter on the ground. But, but if you were to stand here on a particularly hot day, and this is a pretty hot day, you might start hearing these things pop open. Oh, yep, I do. And then they and then they fling their little teeny tiny seeds onward and outward. I'm surprised we're not seeing a lot of birds here, but see, this is one of the things that I always thought was funny. Is like this is always like Toby Hemingway lists this in his book as a chicken feed plant, oh. and it's like, but the seeds are so tiny. It's, I can't imagine it providing much food to anything. And and it's not like there's a bunch of wild birds here going, oh, yum 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 yum. Look at those. Those are crazy-looking seeds. Look at those. I like them. And they're yeah. about as big as a, a, a mung bean. And about hmm, eight of them in there, each pod. Well, they, I, you know, um, tiny. But pretty. but pretty. Yeah, look at that. Ain't that a deal? They're green and maroon. Like marble. I heard I heard one snap. I can hear them snap. Oh, hear them? Oh, yeah. Hear them snap. I'm not hearing the little pods or little the little uh, 
seeds hitting the ground, though. I would think I would be able to see it or hear it. I thought I saw one. Well, anyway, oh, yeah, there. I I saw one hit the ground. Um, But now this is probably going to be like your... This this over here is like your zone three, zone four. And when I say zone three, zone four, do you know what that means? No. So in the permaculture world, um, I mean, there's frost zones. You know what those are. So like here in Missoula, how cold it gets and it's so like what can you plant. So when you're looking up stuff like what can I plant, right. there's some things like you're not going to – most people typically don't plant citrus in zone four. Okay, I know. So we're in zone three in Missoula or four? So that, that's the USDA frost zone. So in, in Missoula is uh, considered Zone 4, although uh, they had came out with a new USDA map recently, and it showed Missoula being Zone 5. So global warming, maybe, possibly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, but in permaculture, we have Zone 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Zone 1 is going to be what's right next to your house, and that's where you're going to probably plant a lot of herbs that you need just a little bit of and and things that might need a lot of first-hand attention. Oh. So, like, if anything was going wonky, you'd be right there on top of it. Oh, look, I've got scratches on my arm from your cat. Sorry. Oh, you know, no, no problem. Cats do that. So, um... <clears throat> He's such a free cat. <laughs> he's a hostile cat. He's he's like, there he is right now. He's standing there like, come on, pet me some more. I heard if you want to make anyone look at something on the Internet, take a picture of your cat, put it next to it, and then they'll look at it just for sure. And now we have the recipe for how to spread the word of permaculture. <laughs> take pictures <laughs> take, of the cat. Take pictures of the cat. There you go. Uh, um, so permaculture zone one would be right next to the house. And then, uh, you know, in an urban lot, I usually don't talk about a, anything beyond a zone three. But here you have, I'll, I'll say this is definitely a zone four. Zone five is going to be an area that you refer to as something that's entirely for the wildlife, and you vow to not touch it. You're going to just oh. leave it alone. So. Um, now, this has been a thoroughfare for deer. Oh, yeah? That was before I got the fence there. I don't know if it'll they'll still be but they come through here uh, and they go down to the river and they come back up and they sleep or vice versa I don't know okay they used to it was kind of like a most um, biologically diverse place and a most thoroughfare oriented until I got that fence okay alright and it does look rather new and uh, well it'll be interesting to see if it works and uh, is persuasive to the deer we'll find out but uh, but back here, um, you do have this spectacular uh, cherry tree. It's got pie cherries, but, you know, um, it could still, I mean, they're on right now. That's a lot of cherries. I'd, I'd say it's time to be uh, canning them up, you know, canning saving them. Huh? Yeah. You, you know much about canning? No. But I do know you need to get a big canner and a bunch of jars and seal them up and basically spend the day doing it and getting hot in the kitchen. Right. Getting hot in the kitchen is one of the components. Um, and, and that's why a lot of people uh, end up kind of making a little bit of an outdoor kitchen. Uh, oh, there you go. Makes it a little a little easier. Uh, a lot of times you can find all the gear you need for five bucks you can get uh, at a yard sale. So for five bucks you'll get the uh, the the canner, the, the, the little you know, pot kind of thing with a little thing that goes and sits inside it and, and uh, you know, put a lot of the gear and lids and whatnot. Oh, I can put it on the org group through Yahoo groups. 
Okay. Quantum canning stuff. All right. Maybe you could, somebody will give me some. Uh, maybe. You give it a try. You could post out at uh, the Missoula Forum at Permies. Although I imagine everybody going out to Permies is like hanging on to their canning gear. Um, okay. Now, would you want to buy the jars at the store? Because sometimes they have sales like 12 packs of mason jars. Um, I've bought them at the stores before, but um, I got to tell you that uh, I've I've gotten most of my jars at yard sales, and um, I never pay more than a dime, and I usually shoot for a nickel. Okay, good good plan. <laughs> okay, but uh, usually when you buy them new, they're about seventy cents a jar. The problem I have with yard sales is cash flow. My cash flows before the canning stuff comes, and it just flows. It could flow all summer before the canning stuff comes. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, I might never get the thing I need and still spend 120 bucks at garage sales, plus a lot of time and gas going around on Saturdays. So um, it, it's an option. It's an option. Yeah. But the thing is, is you got a whole lot of cherries ready right now, and it would be sad to... Chores. Well, right. But, you know, okay. Um, but you're talking about growing a lot of food. You're you're talking about, and you and I'm saying you got a lot of food here right I'm a now. Crew, you are your own harvest crew. <laughs> oh, and, yeah, I and and sometimes you don't um, have uh, you know you're not going to can very much. Um, but you know the other thing is you can probably freeze some. I don't know if you how much freezer space you have. Not much, but you can get them for 144 at Home Depot. Boom, you got it. Sitting there on the floor. Okay. Okay. Well, um, that's also an option. I, I think canning is a better way to go. But, but yeah, you got to be able to squeeze all this stuff into your life. And you're talking about like growing more food. Well, I'm trying to do the thing that you do, where, where you were saying about get stuff going, and then if it does go to waste or go to seed, then good, because it's coming back next year, and then by the time I retire, it will be coming back in full force, and I'll have all the time in the world to putz around on it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So um, if all else fails, I mean, if you ever had some chickens, they would um, probably clean up anything that fell on the ground. Oh, my son wants chickens, but my neighbor lady said she was afraid of them. Well, you're inside the Missoula city limits, right? Nope, in the county. Oh, well, if if you're outside the Missoula city limits, I mean, can't you raise as many chickens as you want? I think I would be able to, yeah. But I've already had a lot of kids, and so I kind of like is tired of taking care of the constant thing. Oh, that's a that's a good point. That's a good point. Now, now of course, you know, um, with the way that I suggest raising chickens, in theory, it'd be less work. But oh, I know the way you did it, where you have a movable coop and then a fence that's movable, and you just move around, and the chickens do their thing. And yeah, it's totally. I love that. Plus, I don't know if you like that one idea that you saw. I saw on a video where there's like a trailer, and the little chicks go in there, the wheelbarrow, or no. Like the movable coop that is on the back of a trailer. So uh, the eggmobile. I mean, Joel Salatin has what he calls an eggmobile. Is that something like what you're talking about? I don't know. It's where the guys would leave them in a trailer, but you said that wasn't quite as good as where you just stick the fence right out uh, on the yard. I don't know. I can't re- really remember. Okay. Well, I, I guess I'd have to see it to know what you're talking about, just to be sure. But, but okay. Um, let's talk more about uh, doing the sun scoop forest garden style thing in in your yard here. And uh, and I started off talking about how you got a lot of bindweed. And um, bindweed would be one of the weeds that I would want to run off. Although I can imagine a permaculture person choosing to embrace bindweed. And I'd like to visit with that person and 
hear about their tales of how it how it went down and how all it worked out. Um, my neighbor lady doesn't like it, and I always like to be nice to my neighbors. Well, I think that's generally a good policy. So um, it goes on her fence, and then I have to take it off. But you know, she doesn't like to see it there because she's afraid she might have to go out and do it. So your neighbor does not like the bindweed. Right. On the fence line between us. Okay. And right now you have a lot of bindweed on the fence line. Now, which neighbor are we talking about? This one? Well, that one. You know, she probably doesn't care too much, but look at it all. I got it out. It got out of hand this year. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I'm going, since we're doing a podcast, I'm going to go ahead and talk about my strategy for how to get rid of the bindweed. So now, um, let's. I wanna, your, your lot is very long and narrow. So I'm going to make up a little bit of fiction here. I'm going to pretend to divide your lot into ten pieces. It's 90 by 180. So uh, okay, it's twice as long as it is wide. Yep. Okay. So the back half that is what I want to do the permaculture on because I want to save the front half for a potential builder for my own self to build. You know, the front half is like the house. Okay. But the back half is, is not sprinkled, and it wants, that's the garden. It's been a garden in the past. Okay. The quarter acre garden. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest the idea of ten slices of your property, and I'm not sure how to quite describe this over a podcast, but um, I'm going to make the slices go the short way. So um, if you start off on the right edge is not uh, slice number one, and um, and then you work over to the front of the property where the house is, that'll be slice number ten out there. So here's here is my strategy for getting rid of bindweed. Step one: go to section number one, to slice number one, and pull out all the bindweed. Now it's going to come back. It's going to come back real fast. So um, the next time that you go out to pull bindweed. Don't go to section number two. Go back to number one. Pull it all out of number one again before moving on to number two. On the third day or the third time you go out to pull bindweed, start at section one again and then go to section two and then go to section three. On the fourth day, start at section one. Pull all the bindweed from section one. and then. So anyway, you kind of get the idea of the pattern that I'm advocating here. But could we... Put uh, clover seeds in in the meantime to keep, to choke that out. Yeah. Oh, in fact, um, if we're going to talk about putting in a full-fledged food forest, then you know a long-term patient stretch. I mean, if you don't want to piss off your neighbors, you want to have good relations with your neighbors, you might want to get rid of it now, today. You know, but if if the idea is is that you're you're a permaculture person, which means that you're patient, then what we could do is we could talk about putting in the um, the food forest, and a lot of I mean, bind, trees beat bindweed. You know, they'll they'll beat them about ninety percent. So now your job is like ten times smaller. Plus, you'll go and you'll put in all kinds of hugelkultur beds, and you'll do all kinds of this, that, and the other thing, which will you know make the uh, the bindweed set. Now, right now you have a lot of open lawn. No. Notice, where is the bindweed? Is it on the lawn or is it over with the the wood and the compost pile? Over there on the edge, yeah, on the wood pod, on the compost. If you mow high, which looks like you don't mow very high. I I can mow on the top one, but we haven't been watering much because you told us not to water too much. But, you know, in the permaculture thing, so I've been kind of changing my plan lately because I used to water the heck out of this and it was really pretty and green. But this year I didn't really do that. I didn't have much time this year. Okay. Plus there was so much rain. 
there, it has been a wet summer here. It's kind of weird for mountain desert. But uh, the 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 thing is that if you mow high, generally bindweed cannot tolerate mowing high. It, it's like it just. Uh, so it's it, mostly in the area where I don't mow. Right. It'll do fine where you don't mow, which includes on your compost piles and on your pile of uh, dried up willa in your rhubarb beds. Wherever it is that you don't mow at all, bindweed is happy. I was weed eating, but I got a finger that was too sore to weed eat too much. I mean, it was like a whole <laughs> I was like just killing my finger. Poor finger for weed eating. I was trying to research how to do it without killing your fingers, but it doesn't seem possible. So I'm... I'm I'm kind of out of the weed eating habit, which is a bad thing. So I, I think it would be good to measure how high does your mower mow? Because right now I'm looking at it and it looks like it's mowed kind of low. Because my kid thing. might have done it low out here. Because obviously look, kind of low. So your 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 kid might. Uh, or we wore it down by using it as a uh, drive around the yard thing for the thirteen. Okay, <laughs> for learning to drive or something there. Okay, so. Uh, Bindweed does like it when people mow low. If you mow low, bindweed, you know, is, is fine with that. I think that's just ducky. Okay. So um, uh, anyway, uh, uh, if you do a lot of permaculture stuff, that's going to make the bindweed sad, and and you're going to have a you're going to be uh, have far more success in getting rid of the bindweed. Whereas, um, if you, you know, and it'll make it easier. You don't have to pull as much. You don't have to hurt your finger as much. Pulling. Well, if pulling doesn't hurt, you know, that just makes my arms uh, in shape, which I don't really mind, but it's just time. I mean, it takes a lot of time to pull all the weeds. Exactly. So now if, you go, if you're going to be doing the, if you're going to be doing the uh, permaculture thing anyway, go ahead and, and, and jump in and start doing a lot of permaculture stuff, and it's going to make the bindweed sad, it's, which is going to make us that if you do choose to eliminate all the bindweed, which is really an optional thing, it'll be a lot easier. Job easier. Okay. So, um, but I'd, I'd say that uh, uh, one of the things to go with would be to put a food forest sun scoop in here. Okay, and so did you go like, how many yards by how many yards is that scoop, would you say? So I would say that we're looking at something that's about 150 feet wide this way, and I would say the scoop would come out at least 150 feet this way, maybe even more. But like oh, part of this... Foot. Half acre, ninety by ninety. How could it be one hundred fifty feet? Wait a minute. Isn't is this so? Is this ninety here? Okay, so this is ninety. Ninety. I think so. Is it ninety feet or ninety yards? All right. So then, this is going to be if that's ninety right there. It'd be about forty-five by. Uh, between that structure and the corner, I'm going to guess is forty-five. Yeah, I'm going forty-five, forty-five. So. I would say that, um, oh, we're going to have a cat fight right here at our feet. Oh, well, that's... What a, fun. Where did that cat come from? I don't... No, I, I don't live here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so I would say that... Um, you're going to, I mean, that's I, I, going to be, it's going to go up against that fence back there. And, and the other thing is, once you start putting trees back there, that's going to control a lot of the bindweed back there that's along the fence line that your neighbor is concerned about. Okay, so I heard there's, like, in the springtime, I was going to try and get some fruit trees at Costco. What do you think of that idea? Because they come in cheap then in the spring. Well, I I like to start fruit trees from seed, but inside of an urban lot. Oh, I could do it in seed. 
I think it'd be fun to try it from seed. Yeah. But now the the trick is you want to get that tap root. Because I I want the tap root. Yes, you talked about that, and I want the tap root too. Because that way you don't have to water. And I got a really high water table, so I imagine the tap root could find it. Oh wow, that's a very good point. Um, it's only it comes up to there's a test well. It comes up to nine feet below or twelve feet below. Sometimes fifteen. Yeah, trees should be able to find that easy. So there's pure granite underneath here, apparently. I mean, not pure, but I mean it's like filtering through granite. So you got pretty much better water water quality going out of targarines than you do coming in on the water table. Wow! Wow! Okay. Well, um, uh, I would want to do it from seed. Now, the problem with doing it from seed is that the, uh, the the fruit that comes off it is typically not true to parent. Now, it's going to depend on which kind of fruit tree we're talking about and which variety. There are some varieties of apricot, for example, which are true to parent. I don't really am not that attached to parents. <laughs> Well, then, I guess you don't need to be true. Well, I mean, uh, whatever comes well, out, the it's thing probably going to be good, right? I mean, if no, no, it's that's the, wonderful. Uh, and that's, that's the problem, is that, like, you go and you, you go to the store, and you buy an apple, and you eat it, and you're like, man, this is delicious. And then you take the seeds from that apple, and you go and you plant them in the ground. There's a very good chance that none of the trees that result from that one apple core will be like their oh. parent, like oh. the fruit that you ate and thought was delicious. Now, I'd say that there's probably about a 10% chance that you'll get an apple that, like, if you planted 10 seeds, one of those 10 will probably be a lot like its parent. And apricots are pretty true because I want those because you can dehydrate them really easy. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. And you can just harvest the whole thing and dehydrate. Of course, that is work, but... Right. And so we want work and we want to not have work well, all at the same time. But you can also juice it or, you know, so you can get rid of it. So the key is, is, let me finish the thing about the apple seeds, and that is that if you plant the 10 seeds, and let's say all 10 popped out of the ground, which is unlikely, you know, probably only four of the 10 are going to actually turn into a tree. But let's say, let's say you plant all 10, all 10 pop up into a tree. One of them is going to be kind of like the parent, but not exactly like the parent. Oh. And oh. two of them... What? How would you know? You wouldn't know until they were grown up and they gave you fruit. So the, the tree's going to come up, it's going to throw off fruit, and you're going to put it in your mouth, and um, so then we'll, we'll have an edu- we will then have an education. And you might and, then... And so now I'm, I'm predicting, I'm betting, I'm putting my money on the following scenario. One of them is going to be kind of like the parent. Two of them are going to be what's called spitters. They're going to be damn nasty. You'll eat the fruit. There's going to be one, one way or another. And damn nasty can come in all kinds of flavors, but useless. Um, uh, you never one know more. with juicing. You can make things that are ed- not as edible, but still edible. You can make them palatable. Well, I think a lot of apples started off uh, uh, here in the United States anyway. Like in the late 1800s, their primary function was to make hooch. And so they weren't too particular about how good. It, I mean, the idea of eating an apple before converting it into hooch was just silly. No, nobody. It was an almost unheard of thing. This whole idea of eating apples now is bizarre compared to the late 1800s. So the key is, is that out of these ten apple seeds, one of them will be kind of like the parent. Two of them will be spitters. One of them will be good, but not like the parent. And the rest will all be okay. 
So then um, you've got a couple of uh, different paths you can you can go down. One is is that you can um, uh, get some scion wood from a really good apple tree and graft it on to your crappy tree. Uh, another thing is you can just chop down the tree. And then there's another thing is kind of wasted some growth time there, which is a, more of an issue in an urban lot than in a rural lot. So here you've got some you've got a little bit of space, so maybe you're okay with that. If nothing else, you can graft your awesome kind of wood onto because because like when you go buy those trees at the Costco or wherever it is you're talking about buying them. Then those are all grafted varieties, and they're, so then they're going to be grafted and transplanted. So you're, you're going to lose you like it, your you're going to lose your tap root. Well, a lot of people are totally cool with it. But I mean, you were telling us at that one lecture that a transplant it just does such shock that you might as well just start from seed, and you're just going to have a more naturally acclimated uh, plant there. Ah, oh, now your cat's scratching you. <laughs> it goes around. Uh, so um. Uh, that, I think I was talking about tomatoes. Was I wasn't I talking about tomatoes then? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, which is, gonna, you know, I mean, we're, when we talk about apple trees, we got a, b- a bunch of different things we're trying to pull off. But you're right. With a tomato plant, I far prefer the idea of starting a tomato from seed mm. and 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 going down that path for for a variety of reasons. But we've only got like 90 days. Ready, set, go. Yeah. I Grow. Think. But now I have another point, and that is I heard that um, sometimes you can have a really strong tree that's sort of native to the area that would be your, like, trunk, and then you want to graft on, and so that's kind of like a nice, good way anyway. True. There's some of that. So a common example, um, and this is something taught to me by uh, Dave Bainline uh, from um, the Bullock Brothers Permaculture Homestead out on Orcas Island, um, and that is that you can take a hawthorn tree covered in thorns, and hopefully I don't screw this up, but you take a hawthorn tree covered in thorns, and then like, you know, five, six feet up, you then graft on a pear tree. And so now, when the deer come by, at their level, there's lots and lots of thorns, but somebody with a, a step stool or a ladder or something like that, you get all the pears. Mm, but you know what? Thorns are kind of like my least favorite thing. So probably not I mean, for you. That, generally speaking, with gardeners, they like to stay away from thorns, or they, they use them to their advantage. I'm going to go with it depends. I mean, here in an urban lot, you're going to be totally comfortable putting up a fence. And so as you have, you've put up a fence because you, the deer, you know, were coming through and whatnot, so you you chose to put up a fence. Um, when you're out in a more rural place, then a lot of times um, you might, instead of a fence, you might choose to put up a hedge. I mean, you think about it. Let's suppose that you needed to, you had 80 acres, and so now your fence line around just just the fence around your property is a mile and a half. Now, what's your budget for fence? It'd be huge. So, well, you know, or you're kind of thinking, I'd rather keep that money. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to go what's buy all this fence, you know. It's going to take me 20 years to build a fence. So anyway, uh, so one strategy is is that you um, play Johnny Appleseed, only instead of apple seeds, you're going to use thorny seeds, dominantly thorny stuff, 
and you go along your border planting these seeds and then um, uh, these things come up and, and if you pick the right varieties you can build a hedgerow which which basically is going to take about as much work as building a fence only you don't have to buy materials you, you just go out there and, and monkey with it in just the right way and you've built a hedgerow and and that's what they use a lot in England now and they used to use throughout Europe a long time ago I don't I think England's the only diehard still doing it but I'm not sure about that I haven't actually been to Europe but that's a strategy you saved a lot of money but it you know, we, we've talked a couple times about work and what seems like a lot of work. So it's Might like be a lot of work. Yeah, it would be a lot of work, but it would be a lot of work in the cold season when the when the those those things are dormant. So it's kind of like um, oh, you'd have to prune them all. It'd be your exercise program. Oh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, building that hedgerow out there. But it's thorny, so it's gonna be hard to prune them. It's uh, it's what you'd call a bitch to do. Um, but you're gonna be all clothed up for the winter, right? Yeah, that's true. And a lot of your winter gear is kind of thorn resistant, maybe. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, what do you think of my little trellis thing for this privacy lattice suspended in the air for vines and then try and grow food on that? I think that there's a lot to say about it, although i got to tell you, since it's on the south side of the property, that, oh, and I can see behind it there's a chain link fence. Uh-huh. So, um... Uh, that out so I can go back there and get the fruit. Right, right. So um, part of me thinks, yay, and part of me thinks, well, when the sun gets really, really low, as we're getting towards the end of our growing season, you know, like when it gets into September, October, the sun's going to be a lot lower, and the, the shadow thrown by that fence is going to get a lot longer. And so that would be a concern, but you're, you know, probably not too bad of a concern. Yeah, because it's only like six or seven feet. Right, right, and it is lattice. It's so hot over there. I was like, you got to have a little shade somewhere in this place, but I should have put it over on the north more. Well, I I tend to put those kinds of fences more on the north, I'd say. I mean, I yeah. just put like the trees, this whole thing that I have going where I'm trying to provide myself a little shade. I probably should have put that over on the north. But then, see, I wouldn't have got much shade because the shade would be over in the neighbors. See, I'd, I would provide shade with natural things. Now, if your mission is is that, you know, that your neighbors to the south here, because it looks like that's where their parking stuff is. My neighbors, my, um, my fence is a compassionate move toward my neighbors, so that they don't have to look at my weird projects and say, what are you doing now? Okay, a good urban move. Uh, um, so, yeah, for, for privacy, then, then yeah, I, I think it's a, a move in a good direction. I might have used something more growy-ish myself, but, um, but for, you know, you, you do get a, a, a quick result with this kind of fence that you've got here. Notice how you do have a hedge down there. Yep, I got a lot of hedge there all the way to the front. There's a hedge and then a lilac tree and then another hedge, same thing. And then on the other side of the front yard, too, the same tree like that. Right. So my point is is that, you know, you didn't build fence where you already have hedge. Right. And that hedge is probably doing a pretty good job of giving you that privacy that you want. Correct. So, And it's probably actually giving you more privacy than your new fence. Yeah, but eventually maybe my fence would give me plenty because hopefully I'll have vines on it. But right now, only native clematis is growing on there. Let's go 
I, you know, I'm looking at your hedge over there, and I'm thinking that once again, that's another Siberian pea shrub, which here in Missoula is often used as a decorative hedge. It's uh, it's usually not used as a hedge because, like, you know, that's the other thing is out in England they'll use these hedges to keep animals in or out, specifically, you know, deer and coyotes and the like. Oh, you want to see my raspberries? Oh, yes, that's what I want to see. Oh, they're getting watered at the moment. That's why they look so wet. Oh, but I see raspberries. You want some? Um, I, you know, I want to try them. Have you been watering them a lot this year? Um, I have an automatic sprinkler in this area, so they come every day to get water. Have you tasted them yet? Yeah. I mean, I didn't have the sprinkler on when it was raining too much, though, and I turned it off, and I was trying to let it dry out, and then I try and water, 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 and then I try and let it dry out. Okay, because the more that they get watered, then the, the, the less flavor that they have, typically. Well, but we'll try. If we can shut off this water for a sec, we'll try them. Water purification system for the smoke from the fire. Oh, I see. Okay. So these are Siberian pea shrubs. More Siberian pea shrubs. Lots and lots of them. So we're going to try a raspberry here. Oh, that one's not quite ripe. That one's not... Well, yeah, that one. Let's try that one. That one was pretty sweet. That one had good flavor. Yes, it's a good flavor. That one was a little dull. That one was dull, huh? Yeah, a little, a little flavorless. These, I, I don't have that much, uh, you know, discernment. I'm just like, hey, they're all good. So I'm eating some more of these, and they're, they're pretty flavorless. They're flavorless, huh? Well... Yeah, I guess. I mean, like they taste. I guess they taste on par with what you could buy. Fertilizer, maybe I should, huh? I've been doing the heavy mulching thing you told me about. So, um, I see. You know, you got some dandelions growing in there, but I gotta tell you, these these raspberry canes do look short. So I'm I'm used to um, a raspberry cane um, for Missoula, in some places I've seen, where they would be probably this tall. Plus have like so probably two to three times bigger canes. Does that mean they're not they're not very old, or what? Well, I, it's, it, no, you know, no, it's not that they're very old. Usually raspberry canes are going to grow to the same size no matter how old they are because, you know, they're kind of um, a biannual. And, and so what they'll do is they'll – so let's see if I can find an example. Okay, look at this cane right here. See this one right here? Uh-huh. That one's being – that one's a new cane for this year, but it's not going to have any fruit on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. But see, yeah. this cane has fruit on it, and that was like a green cane last year. But see, every year you're supposed to take out canes, but I don't have the heart to take out too many. Oh, no, you don't have to. You're not supposed to? Oh, good. Well, you're, you just said, you just, uh, so <laughs> let's clear this up. You don't have to. I thought you said to take out the oldest one. Maybe take Okay, well, two. think about it this way. Raspberries were around before people were around. Um, and sometimes you find raspberries in the wild. How do they survive in the wild if there's not somebody out there to cut down the old cane? Tell me if this one's much more sweet. All right. That one had, like, no flavor at all. Oh, my gosh. Well, you, you got to water less, and we, and we should talk about how to go about doing that. I mean, one thing automatic. is if you had a hugo culture bed going on here. Oh, I can 
put them in the pool and go to bed later. And then you won't have to water them at all. Okay. But let's go back to prune or you know cutting out the old canes. Now, so I'm asking you a question, and I'm, I'm, I've got a series of logical steps I'm going to try and take you okay, through here. Okay, good. And that is that there's a ra- there's raspberries that grow in the wild. Maybe you've even seen them growing up in the wild. And um, yet, chances are that there was no human being out there, um, you know, pruning them or cutting back the, the, the canes that were too old. Uh, you, right. Do you agree with that? And right. yet, and yet they... Been animals? I don't know. Animals Maybe out not. there with little pruners pruning away the old canes? No, eating the berries. Uh, well, yeah, sure, they're going to eat the berries. But, but here's the thing. You don't have to take out those old canes. You don't have to. So, and this is this okay, is well the point I'm trying to make. Now, on the other hand, if you do, then there's there's certain benefits to doing that. But but it's like the benefits in my book, the benefits are pretty small. It's it's um, uh, for me, I'm I'm a little bit on the lazy side, and I'm going to say, leave the canes. I'm, I'm just, going with that, bro. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of. Finding areas where I can be a little bit lazier in the garden. You got to. So, um, uh, and I, and that's where sort of hugaculture kind of comes in because, frankly, going out and watering the garden is is something that um, uh, I relish about a quarter as often as what a garden typically needs. I agree. So when I build a hugaculture bed, then then I'm doing a couple of things. One is is I've got this wood, which just seems like such a waste to take to the recycling thing or put it. I've seen people put it in the garbage, or they've got some of those bins, or and it's like instead take that same wood. And, and do a hugaculture thing, and of course, there's a lot of different ways to do that. And granted, building a hugaculture bed is work, and it's a pain in the ass. But it's one of those things where you invest in your future. You're going to do all this, you do all this work in one shot, in one go, and you get it all built, and um, and then you can be really lazy. Now, the first year and the second year, not so much. It's going to be just as stupid and painful as before. Um, but in the third year and beyond, it's it's like all. All I frosting. That kind of work. Yeah, it's all good stuff. I'm all into that. So, because um, I have like a, a strapping boy, and every now and then I get a little work out of him. <laughs> so now you see, here's here's what I did when with, with, when my kids lived with me is that if they did something inappropriate, which they seemed keen on doing, <laughs> um, then I uh, I remember at one place I had bindweed and I had Canadian thistle. And so I would say, you owe me a bucket of bindweed and Canadian thistle. Oh, good. And so I'd send them outside. They'd have to, and they'd fill the bucket, and they'd try to fill it all fluffy. And I'd say, you know, okay, remember we talked about this before. It has to be packed tight. Now, it's interesting that you tried this. That was a clever trick. It could have worked on somebody who's really stupid. Now you owe me two buckets oh. packed. I hope I don't we don't know. have this chat know. again. I don't know if moms could do see that hard. I I I am an evil bastard, and I'm sure my children would would verify that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, the big thing was is that hey, we did beat the bindweed and the Canadian thistle. Beat them both. These are two weeds that are especially difficult to get rid of. So, um, but it, but it, but it was done. It was, I got it done. I got rid of a whole bunch of napweed, and I pulled it all out by hand after watering like a lot, a lot, a lot, and then it would just go. And I'd sit on a bench. I've never heard napweed make that sound before. Yes, that's <laughs> after you water a lot. 
All right. Got it. All right. Yeah, I mean, it's the most rewarding thing after a while because it makes you so mad. That stupid now. We've been some, when I moved here, someone said, you better get after that or it's going to take over this whole yard. So I, so that's the first thing I did is I spent two seasons pulling napweed. Did that sound keep you up at night? <laughs> no, but I was, I, I found it to be my most rewarding thing about those two springs. <laughs> it is true. You, you, I don't see any napweed here at all. And, and here in, uh, uh, western Montana, that's probably the number one plant that people are concerned about is napweed. But once again, food forest, once you put in your food forest, a little napweed will be all right. It, it, like if, you, if this was if this was infested with napweed, your food forest would probably eliminate ninety percent of it, just as your food forest is about to eliminate ninety percent of your bindweed. But if you want to be a good neighbor, then of course you know you can't wait for the food forest to get established, and you're going to be out there fixing this problem manually with you know that hard work stuff. Yeah. Well, at least I have some nice leather gloves. And and at least one child on hand. This is true. However, uh, moms aren't too good at getting strapping boys to cooperate. However, sometimes they like to cooperate, so that's what I would work for. Oh, okay. Well, uh, so uh, uh, because this is my podcast and I don't really give a damn what anybody thinks, then <laughs> I'm now going to tell a joke. Okay. All right. So um, there's this widow. And she's got two boys, and they're a bit unruly. And so the widow asks the preacher to come by and for dinner, and maybe he can help with the boys a bit, you know, because it's 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 getting really hard ever since their dad died. And uh, um, and so the preacher says, "I'd be I'd be glad to." So he comes by for dinner, and they're sitting down for dinner, and and the widow says uh, to one of the boys, "says David." Uh, what would you like first? And he says, well, give me some of them damn potatoes. And the preacher leans across the table and smack, knocks that boy clean out of his chair. You scared the cat. Guys, uh, that cat needs a good scare. <laughs> that cat looks too comfortable. Yeah, really. Yeah, he's not too scared. He's like he went back to sleep. <laughs> so uh, so then the, uh, the widow says to the second boy, Johnny, what would you like to have first? Johnny says, I don't know, but I'm sure as hell not going to have any of those damn potatoes. <laughs> that's a good one. That's that's the joke. I yeah. So <laughs> now everybody, all the pod people are a little more educated. <laughs> so uh, you know, I think your apple tree over here is rather magnificent. This is. I was told it was a hundred years old. Hundred years old. Over. It has to be over that because now I've been here eight years. Wow, it's a it's a rather magnificent tree, and um, oh look at that! That is like the kind of tree that children dream of climbing in. I know. It's like the branches are low, and uh, and this is it, it kind of makes me wonder if if it's possible that this tree might have started from seed. I mean, one of the, the things that make me think that is that I don't see any graft mark around the trunk. But, of course, a, a tree, tree this age, you won't see anything like that. But but this first branch is so low to the ground, which is contrary to most trees that are started off grafted and whatnot. Oh, right. So it's possible. Well, that's it, another cherry tree I heard. Over there? I think so. There's tall and skinny. Huh. Well, the bark looks like it's possible. I'll have to go look at it here in a minute. But 
uh, oh, this this apple tree, this this prune right here is bad. You want the prune to be a lot more flush than that. That's like got a oh. foot of branch sticking out there, and that's going to be really hard for the tree to heal up over. Oh. So you kind of want to cut it like, in this case, we cut it about a half an inch away from the trunk. Okay. So that way, and when you're cutting stuff like that, you want to be thinking about how is that, you know trying to make it easy for the tree to heal over it. So um, so look here, you can see where somebody had to cut off a great big branch, but they cut it just right, and look how the tree is starting to heal over it. The bad there is a hole. Well, that is a bit of a problem, but the tree will heal over it. Because right now, that's a vector for problems for the tree. I got this gooey stuff. Oh, look at this. This looks like it's actually possibly... A graft? Two trees. They just that grew together. Because notice how this tree is not growing out like this. It's like a separate tree. Oh, amazing. That is, amazing. Look, at, look, at this, look at this cut here and how there's a collar around it, and it's growing over the wound. Is that pretty? That's good. That's a very good prune. That's showing. I should take pictures of this to, to show that's people about a good. I've got a camera in my pocket oh. my, for my videos. But you know what? I'm, I'm look, we're looking at this, and, it's, and you can see these. I wonder if there might possibly be, because it looks like this one's doing it too. This is not of the same tree, or at least it didn't start off as the same tree. It's like two trees grow together. I wonder if this could have started off as an apple core. Like somebody just dropped an apple core right here. So now when you try these apples, are the apples off of this one different than the apples off of this one? Not that I know of. Not that you know. So it, so it must you know, in theory, they're all the same tree. But you know what? Maybe what it was is that the um, branches started off much, much lower to the ground, and they've kind of started to come up a little bit. Sure. Maybe that's it. I'll have to – well, anyway. There's um, there's some other pruning stuff that could happen in here, but – mostly prune for the roofing because I tried to roof so I wouldn't leak on the roof. Oh, okay. All right. But that's the main thing I've done. Still, what an awesome climbing tree, and it provides apples. Well, I mean – it's not as good as the one out in front of the maple, which my boy and his buddies, they brought four four-by-eight boards up into the tree before I knew that what they were doing. And my son's dad came over. He said, how'd you do that? He said, manpower. <laughs> they had ropes and pulleys and ladders. <laughs> and then they went up. They had like four levels <laughs> all in the tree. That's out in the front. Is, is the treehouse still out there? No, my older son came over and said, Mom, that's a danger. And I said, okay, take it down. <laughs> oh, man. Just as soon as a fella gets an awesome treehouse built, those boys needed to learn the power of distraction. Look, Mom, that barn's on fire over there. Therefore, getting you to forget all about the, the, the awesome tree fort. <laughs> I know. They had it so good. They had a TV with a cable, and then they had a stereo and electricity up there, and they were blasting the neighborhood. <laughs> How old were these boys? Eleven. Oh, okay. So it's a little too early to have the uh, babe hut. <laughs> True. So, yeah, you don't want to invite babes over to where, you know, your mom lives. <laughs> you want to have your own little special hideout. Although the babes seem to like this because I caught my boy out here with about five girls, and I heard one girl traipsing through my little area, and she goes, I like this house. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you're awful cute. Maybe if you ever want to have marry my boy and make a grandbaby. <laughs> oh, now you're sending your boys off to be breeders. <laughs> I think we got your strategy now. Look at all. Okay, you got a lot of fruit on the ground right here. Another, uh, 
Other time when it's great to have chickens to kind of do the cleanup for you. I try and get them down out because I've heard that you can get bugs and then it's not a good idea. So you try and I'm going to try and this year put them in the juicer. Well, it's true that you want to try and get them out from under the tree because of the bugs issue. And as you can see, it looks like that one that you found right now um, might have some visitors inside of it. Numerous. Which, you know, um, uh, there's that old saying about, uh, you you know what's worse than a worm and an apple? No. Half a worm and half an apple. (laughs) Unless you're a chicken. Oh, yeah. Because then a chicken thinks that if you've got an apple loaded with worms, that's better than just an apple. Oh. Oh, well, you know, there's that guy on TV and he goes around and eats weird stuff. I mean, so he's kind of giving me the idea maybe it wouldn't be so bad if I did learn to eat worms. <laughs> Let me know how that works out for you because I'm not going to try it. <laughs> All right, fine. Okay, well, we've wandered around. We've talked about a few different things. Okay, um, so you know. Oh, we're going to go look at something more. I was about to wrap up the podcast, but oh, we'll go look oh, at something more. We don't have to, but uh, this is what you call my septic garden, and it's my garden over my septic tank because I dug a long time before I found that dang thing. <laughs> Okay, so as long as you dug it all up, might as well... Uh... Now I know exactly where the septic tank is. I'll never lose it. And there's two rocks, one over the intake and one over the edge of the septic tank. All right. So if you ever want to pump the tank, you go under this rock, and then the tank goes over to here on this rock. Where's your drain field? I think I've, I've heard it's over here on a map. I think I think uh, you've got some future problems coming up. I got a six ring system. I don't even know what that means. It's like a drain pit with six rings, apparently. Okay. Here's the thing: as we're standing, we're standing underneath a tree canopy, and the roots are going to extend far beyond a tree's canopy. That means that no matter what kind of drain field you've got out here, then um, the the roots are reaching it. Maybe they like it. Oh, I'm sure they do. Well, then that's a good thing, right? Because you want to have, whenever, whenever there's something foul, you want something non-foul, like mullen, for example, in your little point on your email, that comes along and tries to make it less foul. Oh, well, that's... That is entirely true. Now, of course, there's one little problem, and that is, um, you know, your, whatever it is that your drain field's made out of, the, the tree roots are probably not going to be real polite about getting to the things that they think are yummy. So they're going to kind of... Um, Ruin my drain field. There you go. I was going to go fuck it up, but ruin sounds good, too. <laughs> now, uh, and, and, you know, how it might go about ruining it might be a little different. Now... Look at those people the lawn next door. Now, that's a big lawn. Well, there's two people there. That is the cutoff, and then these guys have theirs. These guys all have two acres each, I think. That's a, so you're saying that's a two-acre lawn. I'm not sure, but I'm It kinda... looks like a two-acre lawn, maybe even a three-acre lawn. That's a big lawn. That, it's and it's got... It's back there. And it's got sprinklers running on it right now here in the, what, about one in the afternoon or so? Oh. On a sunny, sunny day? It's perfect, but for some reason I feel that my biodiversity is more perfect. Well, it's true that, I mean, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, 
that's just fucking creepy. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's like all that lawn. And it's like, do they have oh, 70 children to go out and play on that or something? No, but my children do take advantage, and they, they don't mind. It, it, you've got a great relation with your neighbors. And all that, I guess you don't need much yard because your children can go play over there all they want. Yep. That is a big, big yard. And the one next door is about as big, but they actually have two trees in the middle of their yard. <laughs> That's just creepy. What would you think would be, I mean, considering if you were those type of people that did not want a garden, what would you suggest that they do that would be more re- reasonable? Okay, well, I, first I think I, what I would do, because we're talking to me, is I would change my type of people. <laughs> so you're saying if I was those type of people, I think the first thing I'd do is put on a pair of nice overalls and do something really different. Well, I mean, if you were the type of person who didn't want to spend a lot of time in their yard, but you did have a beautiful lot and you did have a nice urban environment and you had it full of grass, but you wanted to make it more Paul friendly. <laughs> I'd, I would imagine, because I'm looking over there and I'm not seeing any weeds. They've been hitting that with the weed and feed for a yeah, long time. Yeah, there's guys that come down here with chemical trucks and hit everybody and then they always leave a flyer at my door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't you want to buy our chemicals too? I mean... <laughs> So, um, I, uh, first of all, I, I think it would take years to just decam that lawn. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I'd want to do, uh, for, for land like this, I would, and I'm in the county, chickens and pigs is what I'd be thinking of. And I would be planting a lot of trees just to get started. I'd, I would just need to change it right away um, for me. And, and, yeah, forest gardens, like we've been talking about, using the sun scoop stuff, definitely. Um, and uh, I'd want to introduce a lot of hugel culture. I'd want, I mean, they've got some roly-poly going on in their lawn right now. I would want to introduce a lot more edge, so a lot of hugel culture. I'd want to shape the land to be more, to be lumpier, to be bigger lumps so I could have more edge. If you were not much of a gardener, would you still recommend that plant? Well, so the thing I mean, if you could get like guys to come in and make it, and then you you still stay in your house like they do. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Oh, the well. Guys that come, you know, and they take care of their stuff. I, I, you know, okay, you're trying to get me to be not me, and I'm I'm sorry, but I'm me, and um, I'm trying to hear what you're saying about these folks, and I'm having like, a well. Theoretically, could you have a team of people come in like? Have, Paul people and do something to where it would be low maintenance for these types of people, but still what you're saying is more reasonable and less watering in the middle of the day on a golf course with chemicals. Well, see, I, I really do think that when we end up with a good permaculture system, there is zero maintenance. Yeah. If you want to, I mean, basically you're going to end up with a food forest where you don't have to do any maintenance at all. And then if you ever do choose to do a little bit of maintenance, you just get more production. And then if you ever choose to go outside and eat what's all the food that's growing out there, you can't. And if you choose not to, well, you could just leave it. Or, like, I was reading about Persian kings, and one of the reasons they were so great is because they made sure everything was farmed. Even if, like, someone died, they made sure that part was farmed. Nothing was ever not farmed. And they made sure they had everything they needed to make sure everything was kept growing, all the plots that were growable. And anyone arid, they tried to make them grow so that people would realize these are cultivated lands. So I think, in a way, it should be a more of a social uh, norm and value to cultivate and Target Range is a good place to start that, and they're actually trying to do that more so, the whole idea of the, you know, uh, more space type of agriculture people. I've heard of programs in different towns where what they'll do is they'll have somebody who's like, I have two acres, and I like to not mess with it, but 
there's somebody else somewhere who's got zero acres and they just have a powerful need to garden and and then um, it's like you can and then the service will connect those people together so that way and they'll be near each other it turns out they'll like you know do Google Maps or something to figure this all out and so then you'll be able to get um, people to go out uh, and, and then they'll they'll start doing permaculture or some other kind of garden on a big patch like that or maybe you'll get 20 people for I mean, a patch like that could probably feed 20 people, but it's just going to lawn. Um, and you know what? So currently they're paying a garden service to come and mow that. Imagine if they took that same fundage and they said, um, here, garden people, we're giving you this money to grow gardens and stuff. I don't know. Would Would the people inside that house eat food from a garden I mean for a lot of people food from a garden would be like the same as food from a produce section at a grocery store which is still the section that they push their cart past <laughs> if they go to a grocery store at all and they just don't eat out every meal right <laughs> all right so we've talked about a lot of different things I think that makes for a good enough podcast okay all right um, if you like this sort of thing come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about gardening homesteading and permaculture all the time. Mm-hmm.